As Brett was sharing, we just got back from Sri Lanka, and uh, Sri Lanka is an interesting nation. It's uh, 88% or no, 80% Buddhist and 1.6% Christians. And you know how peaceful the Buddhists are. Whenever they build a church, the Buddhists tear it down, and then they beat up the pastors and throw them out of the city. And so that's, uh, that's the kind of stuff uh, that Christians in Sri Lanka have been doing. Nevertheless, the Word of God is spreading in Sri Lanka. And we, we had kind of a neat illustration I was sharing, uh, and the pastor, um, the pastor was so moved by that illustration, he wanted to make sure that in any of the places that I went that I shared that illustration. And the idea was that the ground is hard. I mean, the, the Buddhist ground is incredibly hard, but what they're doing is they are plowing and turning over that hard ground with the love of Jesus Christ. And so they are ministering to the Buddhist of Sri Lanka. There's one church that is helping 350 Buddhist children who have fallen behind in their reading to be able to catch up. So the Christians are teaching the Buddhists how to read with no strings attached. They're just doing that out of the love of their hearts. And it's slowly but surely changing the hearts and the attitudes of the Buddhists. And I met, I met five pastors who were raised Buddhist, came to Christ, um, and, and several of them came to Christ as a result of a miraculous healing that they experienced from Jesus Christ. And what's, what's amazing about this, uh, you know, you wonder why are they experiencing uh, healings? There was a woman who had a, a goiter. You know what a goiter is on the neck? It's a large growth. And I asked her how she was doing, and, and she said, you know, uh, the doctors have offered to fix that with surgery. You know, I don't know how you treat it, but ev- but evidently she said, it is fixable, but I want to wait for Jesus Christ to heal me. And so that's why people in other parts of the world are experiencing, because they have this sense of of coming to God as their only hope. And when there's that sense of desperation, amazing things are happening. And so the word of God is spreading. Uh, Connie and I had the opportunity to go to four of seven pastoral groups that are being trained. They're they're all young men and women who have um, decided to be pastors, but most of them haven't had any kind of formal training. So what we're coming in is we're coming in on the heels of this man in, in Sri Lanka who's doing an amazing work. He's been giving them the basics of discipleship, and we're coming in and building on top of that, giving them training for pastoral ministry and reproducing churches. So we're trying to help finish the job that God has used him to begin. So we're going to begin to go to Sri Lanka on a regular basis. It is an unbelievable country. It's beautiful. The people are amazing, and uh, it took us about uh, one day to fall in love with the people of that country. So we're going to be going back there. And so just talk about bread, about maybe doing a little Indonesia trip together. So we're, we're hoping that we can uh, keep expanding the places where God is, is using us. So great things are happening. Uh, by the way, Connie has a uh, clipboard that at the end of the service she'll have back there. If you want to get our Sri Lanka report, if you're not normally getting our email, sign up for that. And we'll uh, send you a little report with some pictures of what God is doing. Oops, I need my little clicker. Tonight, um, I want to key off of something that really struck me in the nation of of Sri Lanka. Because they are only 1.6% in the entire nation, the Christians almost universally are gospel-centric in, in their lives. And what I mean by that is they judge everything that happens to them in light of the opportunities that it presents for the gospel. If they go through a difficult time, oh, maybe the Lord can use this to show others of the faithfulness of God. If, they, if God answers a prayer, oh, maybe I can share this with people to help them see what 
God is doing in my life. In other words, their whole, their whole passion is to be a witness for Jesus Christ among people who don't want to hear that witness for Jesus Christ. And it, it struck me that I think in many ways, America is becoming an unreached people group. I think in many ways, there are people now who are two, three, and even four generations removed from having any exposure to Christianity at all. When I was growing up, if you talked to people about Christmas, they knew the Christmas story. They knew the wise men. They knew the shepherds. They knew the angels. They knew the whole nine yards. And so you had this starting point. Now, you talk to kids. They don't know that stuff anymore. They don't know anything about it. They don't think of going to Christmas and Easter to church. You don't even have the twice-a-year Christians anymore. You have the zero-a-year atheist. And so we, we need to realize that right here in Newberry Park, Thousand Oaks, Westlake, Agura, Camarillo, Oxnard, Ventura, this whole valley, my personal estimate is that we're well under 10% uh, people who are Christians. Uh, under 18, this will shock you, the number is... Four percent. So of this of this Ventura County, of all of the people under eighteen years old, four percent identify in any way in any way, shape, or form with Jesus Christ. So the fact is, we are quickly forfeiting our position as an influence in this area for Jesus Christ. And it's not the way Jesus Christ designed it. Do you remember what he said in Matthew 16, 18? I will build my church, right? And then he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the picture that Jesus is, is presenting is not that we're here cowering against the attacks of Satan. We are the offensive army. And we are battering down the gates of hell going in to rescue people who are captives of the enemy. So the liberals and the gays and the, all of the people that, that conservative Christians tend to view as, oh, those people, they're not our enemy. They're captives of the enemy. And what I was telling the people in Sri Lanka is the Buddhist, even the Buddhists who tear down your church and beat up your pastor, they are not your enemy. They're captives of the enemy. So tonight, as, as I was really asking the Lord, what, what is it you'd like me to share? You know, I have one shot with you guys tonight. What is it that I can share that would make a difference? And, and God took me to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And there are two very simple suggestions, actually commands, that Paul gives if you want to be a Christian in this valley, in this hard ground, who is going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. It's very simple. Pray hard, live wisely. All right, so let's look at this. We're in Colossians chapter 4. If you got your Bibles, please turn there. Uh, Paul writes in verse 2 and 3, actually 2 through 4, continue steadfastly in prayer. And uh, I actually like the way the New American Standard translates this. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, now Paul says, Paul who's in prison for the gospel, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, I want to go through a couple of things with you. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert or watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. The word devote here is, is a really interesting word. It comes from the Latin word devotus, which means to vow. I want, I want you to think about this for a minute. If... If uh, 
Connie and I are always laughing when we're watching TV. Somebody says, will you do this? And they say, yeah, I'll do it. And then you know what the next thing they always say is? Do you promise? Okay. They always love to add it. Do you promise? It's like my saying it doesn't really carry any weight with you. But if I promise or if I make a vow, then you go, oh, okay, now I know you're going to do it. Now, now, Jesus said we shouldn't make vows, okay? So I'm not talking about the point of making a vow. What I'm talking about, when Paul says devote yourselves to prayer, he says, I want your prayer life to be something that is intentional, something that is a result of forethought. In other words, you're looking at this week, tonight's Wednesday, I don't know how many of you have done this, how, how many of you have mapped out specifically when you are going to spend time with the Father in prayer for kingdom things. Most of us catch prayer where when we can grab it. We, okay, oh, I got a little time. Okay, I'm going to pray. Or something terrible happens, so we pray. And Paul says, that's not the prayer life of a devoted Christian. That's not the prayer life of a kingdom Christian. He says, I want you to think in advance about your prayer life. And I want you to be committed to it. Prayer's a little bit like losing weight. All right? Oh, I really want to lose weight. Oh, what have you done? Well, I really want to lose weight. And I'm really struggling with my weight. I really want to lose weight. But you see, that statement is utterly and absolutely meaningless. Do you, do you, under, do you see how that works? If, if I really want to lose weight, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm planning to uh, change my diet in this way. I'm planning to schedule my exercise at this time. I'm planning to do these things. In other words, I have forethought and I have intentionality to that statement that I want to do something. Now, all of us, I think if we had a raise of hands, how many of you think prayer is important? Oh, we'd all raise our hands. Oh, yeah, I think it's important. But you know what? We lie to ourselves. Because I can tell what's important to you, not by what you say to me, but what you actually do. And here's what I want you to write down. I want you to write down this question. If somebody had a drone hovering over my head for the last seven days, they could see and hear everything I did, what would their conclusion be as to my commitment to prayer? See, what you say about prayer is 100% meaningless. Oh, I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that prayer changes things. I believe that prayer can make a difference. Yeah, that and $2 will buy you a coffee at Starbucks, okay? So the, the point is, it's not what you say that matters. It's what you're actually doing in your life. Now, the other thing I want you to see about this that I think is so important, this is in the present tense. So uh, if we go back to verse 2, if you translated this with the force of the Greek language, it would be keep on devoting yourselves to prayer. Don't just make a one-time decision to do this. I want you to keep on doing this basically on a daily basis. So Paul says, I want your prayer to be a priority for your life. I don't want it to be a casual approach. I want it to be something very specific. Now, as we get to this, I need to remind you and if you've heard me speak on prayer, you know this already, but there, there are two kinds of prayer in the Bible. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. If you want to start memorizing scripture, this is a great verse to start with. It's only one word more than Jesus wept. So, you know, you, you can do this pretty quick. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, three words. Pray without ceasing. It's a command, by the way. Not a suggestion, not a good idea. It's a command. And what Paul is talking about here is what I like to call the on-the-go kind of prayer. Uh, I'm walking into a meeting, 
And I just breathe a prayer to God right then and there. Lord, give me the words. Give me wisdom to deal with this meeting. Uh, I'm having a struggle with my kids. Lord, give me the patience right now to weather this storm with my son or my daughter. Okay, so that's, that's the kind of pray without ceasing. In other words, what Paul is saying is bring everything to God at all times in every situation. A guy, I, I, one of my friends in China, uh, it just cracked me up. When, when somebody would cut him off, he was driving us. He would always say, God bless you. And he actually meant it. It wasn't like in Sister Act when she said, bless you. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. She, he actually meant, God bless you. And I was always so impressed with him that to me, it's a sign of ultimate maturity when you bring God into your driving. I mean, so I, I struggle with that a little bit in my own life. But okay, so that's on the go prayer. Okay, you got that one? When Paul says pray without ceasing, this is not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is what, what I like to call closet prayer. Now, look at what Jesus says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Have you ever heard people who have those beautiful flowery prayers when they're in praying in groups? Oh, Father, we thank you. You know, in fact, they even go to 16th century. We thank thee. For thy greatness and thy worthiness and thy power and thy majesty and whithersoever thou goest, we art there, you know, oh God, you know. And so, man, they can just wax eloquent. See, Jesus says your ability to wow a crowd in a public prayer is not all that important. Because when you do it to be seen by people, you've gotten your reward right there. Now, look at what he says. But when you pray... Go into your room. That's step one. Step two, shut the door. Now, the modern day equivalent of shut the door is turn off your cell phone. Okay, that's the electronic shutting the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I want you to see a couple of things about what Jesus is saying. Number one, do you see the intentionality here? He says, when you pray, I want you to go to a specific place where you're going to pray. And then I want you to shut the door. In other words, I want you to get rid of the distractions in your life. And then once you've done that, that's when you get down on your knees and you pray to your father who is in secret. A couple of things about devoting yourselves to prayer. Number one, I think a lot of us don't even know what we want God to do. And and I want you to think about that for just a minute. Easter's coming up. Of all the times in the year, I think Easter, even more than Christmas, is a time when people are open to, if not considering the claims of Christ, at least going to church with you. Now, I want you to speak out a couple of things. What would you like to see God do in and through Calvary Chapel Godspeak this Easter? Just give me some ideas. What would you like? See, that should be on the tip of our tongue, shouldn't it? Man, God, I want to see 200 people come to faith in Jesus Christ this Easter through Calvary Chapel Godspeak. Now, I don't know what that is, but, you know, I call it BHAP. Big, hairy, audacious prayer. In other words, I want you to ask God for something that is so amazing that for God to answer that prayer, you know that only God could do it. But what do we do? Oh, God. Bless our Easter services. Isn't that sweet? You go home after Easter, you say, well, did God answer your prayer? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it was a blessed service, whatever that means. See, our prayers are so general and they're so blasé 
that it doesn't even matter if God answers the prayer. So in devoting yourselves to prayer, I want to encourage you to picture yourself. You're in your chair, and Jesus walks up to you, and just like he does to the two blind men at Jericho, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now think about that. If Jesus physically came up to you and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Would you say, oh, bless me. Oh, help me. Oh, uh, um, I don't know, Jesus. I'm not quite sure what I want you to do for me. See, if we don't really know what we want him to do, what we're betraying is the fact that our trust is in everything but Jesus. The things that are we really want in our life, we're pursuing on our own. So Paul says, devote yourself to prayer. And then he says something really interesting. He says, being watchful in it. In other words, what he's saying is as you walk through your life this week, start looking for opportunities for prayer. And we, we've talked about this where if somebody, whether they're a believer or non-believer, shares with you something that they're going through, rather than just saying, I'll pray for you, actually putting your hand on their shoulder and saying, can I pray for you right now? And then praying for them, but then taking it a step farther, writing it down in a little journal or a little reminder or on your phone, and then praying for them that week, then calling them next week and say, you know what, I've been praying every day for you. How is that going? I went to a, a, a group up in Santa Barbara that has a ministry of prayer. And uh, if, if you've known me for a while, uh, you've known I've just had terrible times with my feet. I've been so crippled with bone spurs that I, I can't even walk. And, and uh, they, they all gathered around me and they, lay, had, they laid hands on me and they prayed. And they did something interesting. They, they looked at me and said, can you feel a difference? In other words, as they were praying for me, they were expecting God to do something right there. And I, and I, I hadn't even thought of it. And to my shame, I wasn't expecting God to do anything. I thought, oh, thank you for praying for me, blah, blah, blah. But it actually, I said, interestingly enough, it actually feels better. It's not all the way there yet, but it, it definitely feels better. Then they said, we need to pray again. In other words, they were anticipating that God wants to answer that prayer. And, and what's interesting, I don't know about how all of this works, but I'm looking back now and I'm realizing that was actually the beginning of a whole change of course in my feet. I was headed towards surgery. I don't really need the surgery now. Um, I'm actually walking more and more and the pain in my feet is going down and down and down and I just uh, my feet went from being the physical issue of my life yeah you know every once in a while it gets a little you know like everybody we all get aches and pains I mean I'm 66 for heaven's sake so you're gonna get some things but but I, I realized as I tracked back over my life that time of prayer was a change of course for my life. And see, those people were devoted to prayer, even though I wasn't. And I, I say that with great shame, to be honest. I, I, uh, it, it's just amazing what will happen. Connie when we were in Nepal, was talking with how many ladies uh, in, the, in the group where they had shared their testimonies? Okay. Seven, seven pastor's wives. 
And out of those seven wives, how many had come to Christ as a result of a healing? Four out of the seven had come to Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ as a result of a miraculous healing that came through prayer. So, what am I trying to say? Number one, I want to encourage you. If you don't do it now, to start setting aside time specifically for prayer. And I want to encourage you to do something interesting. I want you not to do it at the time of your daily devotions. Okay? Sometimes when we do daily devotions, we wind up having 20 minutes of Bible reading and three minutes of prayer. You know, prayer sort of gets squeezed out by our Bible reading, and I'm certainly not against Bible reading, so I want you to be doing that at a different time. But figure out a time, and if, if you're a little uncomfortable, just start with 15 minutes. When you first start doing it, after two minutes, you'll run out of stuff to say because you you're not used to praying for that length of time. So just start scheduling 15 minutes and write down everything you pray for. Don't pray for anything without writing it down. And then don't stop praying for that until God answers your prayer request or until he tells you to quit praying for it. He'll do, he'll do one or the other. And he'll do it very distinctly. It's amazing. Pray for this Easter service. Pray that Satan is going to rip the blinders off of your friends and people in your neighborhood who don't know Jesus that is keeping them from seeing the gospel. Uh, Brett was telling me the plan is very simple. Pray, invite, bring, right? I'd like to add a fourth thing, disciple after that. See, plan that they're going to come to Christ. So pray, invite them, bring them. And when they come to Christ, start discipling them in the faith. I'll tell you, you, you see God do that, you'll never be the same again. I guarantee it. Once you see God work through prayer, it's very hard to stop praying. All right. Um, I'm going too long here. I need to get on to verses 3 and 4. And this is where Paul challenges the Colossians. He says, pray for us, but I want to expand this to say, pray for people who are kingdom builders. And here's what he says in verse three and four. He says, and pray for us. You find it here. There we are. Pray for us that God will open up to us a door for the word. I want to give you a suggestion. This is a fabulous prayer request to pray for yourself and others every day. God, would you open up a door for the word? In other words, would you create an opportunity where I can share your truth with somebody that you've put in my life? Then Paul says in verse 4, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, which I've been in prison, verse 4, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. In other words, that I will be clear when I share with people. So Paul says, he's asking for prayer for two things. Number one, would you pray that God opens the door for the word? And number two, would you pray that we will make it clear? Very simple prayer request. So what you might pray towards Easter is, God, would you open a door for me to invite somebody to church? And God, would you, would you bless Rob's mouth so that he makes it clear when he shares the gospel? And would you bless my mouth so that when I follow up afterwards, I'm able to keep the, the ball rolling, the conversation going? All right. I'm going to jump over now to the next verse, verses 5 and 6 where Paul talks about how we should live. Verses 5 and 6. He says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech be always with grace, as though seasoned with salt, 
so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Question, right now, I want you to think in your mind. Do you have somebody in mind who is in darkness, who doesn't know Jesus? Yes or no? Do you you all have people like that? Okay. All of you over here, you guys have? Okay. These are people Paul calls outsiders, not because they don't belong, but because they haven't been found yet. And Paul says, when you're with people like that, you need to walk wisely in front of them. Now, now let's talk about what that means. If you're dealing with your neighbor, he doesn't know Christ, and he makes some unfair demand. Maybe he, he, your tree is hanging a little bit over, and he wants you to cut down the whole tree because one branch is hanging over. Or, you know, you know I'll be honest, my neighbor got upset with me because we were halfway around the world, and our dog was barking. Um, um, well, he was trying to do his, his lawn work, you know, and he said, you know, it was very disrupting to him. And, and he actually sent me a blistering email. And it was such an amazing opportunity for me to ask the question, how am I going to respond to this man? Am I going to respond to him as an American? Because Americans have rights. Have you noticed that American, well, if you haven't traveled a lot, you don't notice this, but I will tell you, Americans are the angriest drivers in the world. There is not even a close second. You go into China, honking your horn is the national sport. They just lean on that sucker. And I mean, it's, it's hilarious. There's a traffic jam a block long. Nobody's moving. And the guy who is at the back of the traffic jam is just leaning on his horn. But he gets upset. In fact, they, they think, oh, it's time to start a chorus of horns. So they all start honking their horn. Um, somebody cuts you off. And people in other countries do something that is so un-American, they back off. I mean, that is absolutely, that's communist. That's un-American. This is my lane. You have no right to this lane. And so we will, you know, somebody puts their blinker on. What do American drivers do? They speed up. Why are Americans this way? Because as Americans, we have rights. And that's actually a blessing in one way. It's nice to have those rights. But the problem with having rights is we start to feel like we're entitled. You see the difference? And because of that, normal conversations become angry conversations. Because you cut me off. You made me slow down 0.2 miles an hour. And I'm going to arrive at my destination 0.5 seconds later because you chose to come on my land. And so people start shaking their fists at each other. They, they start shooting each, each, each other. I, you know, there was that two women in Texas. One shot the other one. They were two blocks from their home. And they had been having this road rage thing going on and it got out of control. And one, one woman shot and killed the other woman. You know, this is what... This is America today. We are an angry people. And I want to tell you something. If you want to stand out and shine like the light of the world that Jesus has called us, Paul says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Become a person of gentleness rather than anger. Become a person of patience. Become a person who is willing to bear the offenses of other people. One of my favorite words is the word patience, 
But the word I like even better is the old English word for patience, which is long-suffering. That's what patience means. It's the willingness to suffer because of the sins of other people. Boy, we don't have that very much in America, do we? But if you have it, you will stand out like a light. And so Paul says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. In other words, start to see people as Jesus sees them. Uh, Any of you have a jerk at work? I think every place of employment has to have at least one king-size jerk. That's just, it's a law. I think employers are required to hire one person like that that will drive everybody else crazy and make life miserable for them. I don't think Godspeak has a jerk on staff, though. I I don't think that... But what would happen if rather than evaluating that person by how you like them or don't like them or how they treat you or don't treat you, you, your first evaluation of that person is they are lost and they are without Jesus. Every time you looked at them, that's the first thing they came into your mind. They are lost and they are without Jesus. How would that change the way you treat that person? As far as I can see, it'd be a 180-degree shift. Don't you think? I mean, you would give them the benefit of the doubt because, my gosh, they're in darkness. Jesus said the wicked walk in darkness. They don't know where they're going. The Proverbs say the wicked walk in darkness, and they don't know over what they're stumbling. I mean, you got to give people a break because they don't know any better. And so we're starting to treat people with patience and, and allowing them to have bad days and allowing them to do things that are unkind towards us without feeling the need to retaliate. That love is going to start to turn over the soil of their heart. And rather than being hard ground that the Word of God can't penetrate, the soil becomes soft. And they're able to start seeing the difference that God has made in your life. So in your conduct, the main thing that I would say to you is very simple. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, let all that you do be done in love. So every day, you have your time of prayer now. So you're saying, Lord... And you start naming the people that drive you crazy. There's Billy and Susie and Bobby and Johnny and all of them. God, make me an instrument of your love in their lives today. And you start intentionally looking for opportunities to demonstrate the love of Christ to them. Maybe it's helping them with a project. Maybe uh, they forgot to get something out and you get it done for them. There's all sorts of things. Now look at what he says. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. Now opportunities is an amazing thing. Because Every opportunity comes with an expiration date, right? Don't you wish you would have bought Apple at $23 a share? I mean, but if I came to you and I said, hey, I got a, a great opportunity for you. You can buy Apple for $23 a share. No, you can't. It's $140 a share. And that's after it split six ways. You see, that opportunity is gone and it will never come back again. And that's the nature of opportunities. And so one of the things that Paul is challenging us to do is to recognize opportunities when they come. So you have a coworker and they share with you, man, 
I don't know what I'm going to do with my kid. He's going crazy, and I don't, I can't talk with him. So you can either say, oh, that's too bad. Oh, thanks. Or you can be ready with a response that deepens conversation. Now, I don't want you to become a Betty Bible verse and have a Bible verse for everything, you know, you know. All right. That's not really helpful either. But to be ready with a question, to be ready with an anticipation to listen, to be ready with, hey, I'd love to hear more about that. Could we get a cup of coffee? I'd love to hear what you're going through because I know how hard it is. And so you, you in, initiate a deeper conversation. But you see, you've got to be ready for those opportunities. Do you understand what he's saying? Because once that opportunity passes, it's gone, and you can't go back in time and get it back. So that's why Paul says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunities that God brings your way. I find there are two kinds of Christians in the United States. There's some people who are always having opportunities to talk about Jesus, and there are others who have no opportunities to talk about Jesus. You know what the difference is? Some are looking for the opportunities, others are not. It's, it's that simple. And so he says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of your opportunity. Then verse 6, and this is so cool. He says, let your speech always be with grace. Do you want to become a powerful Christian who makes a difference in the lives of people who don't know Jesus? Learn to season your speech with grace. He says, as though seasoned with salt, you know, a little salt really springs up the taste of a lot of things. And Paul says, let your speech be like that. I want to read to you. Well, let me just go. Let me just write down a couple of things that I I think it'll be helpful if you're taking notes. You might just write down those, you know, Paul says two things about us. He says we're an aroma of Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 7. He also says that we're ambassadors for Christ. We represent Jesus Christ. Jesus says we're the salt of the earth. And there again, we're seasoning. And Jesus goes on to say we're the light of the world. What, What Paul is trying to help us to see is how you speak will either draw people towards Jesus Christ or it will give them an excuse to ignore Jesus Christ. Let me read to you Ephesians 4.29. Paul says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word is as good for edification. Edification means to build up. In other words, whenever you speak, your goal is to build up, not to tear down. Do you realize how unusual that kind of speech would be? If you were finding the good to bring out or the strength for people or things to encourage them or things to help them see uh, what's happening in their life from God's perspective. Now, notice what Paul says. Number one, our words should be good to build other people up. Number two, our words should be according to the need of the moment. In other words, Paul is saying what James is saying, before you speak, you ought to listen. Because if you listen, you will understand what the need of the moment is, And so you're going to be able to respond in a way that is appropriate to what's going on in their lives. One of the big questions people always ask is, how can I get into talking about Christ? The easiest answer in in the face of the earth is you get into that not by talking, but by listening. Because if you're listening to people Eventually, if they actually think that you care, they're going to start talking about needs. 
And if they're starting to talk about needs, you're going to discern places where Jesus can enter into that need and make a difference in them. So Paul says, according to the need of the moment, the third thing he says, that it may give grace to those who are here. Very simple message tonight. It's going to be a little shorter than normal. I'm going to let you go pretty soon. Now I hear the hallelujah chorus being sung. Okay, so. The reason is, I don't want to keep talking and complicate things more than it needs to be. This, this is a very simple message. Number one, I want to encourage you by the words of Paul, by the authority of Paul, to become a person who is devoted to, intentional in, consistent in your prayer life. That you're setting aside time to bring God into your world. Because that's what prayer does. It brings God into your world. If you do that, if you start praying specific things for specific people in your life, you will change. I, you can't stay the same. You will love people more. You will see them from God's perspective more. All of the things are going to start to change about you. So step one is you pray hard and you pray smart and you pray intentionally. You pray specifically and you pray for specific people. Number two, you live in a way that's going to force people to ask questions. You love them. You are patient with them. You respond in very un-American ways to what they do, good, bad, and indifferent And you speak in such a way that shows that you've actually heard what they've been saying to you. You speak in such a way that gives grace, that encourages them, that builds them up. You speak in such a way that lets them know that you love them. If you do that, Something amazing is going to happen. If you're taking notes, just write down 1 Peter 3.15. Peter says, first of all, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. And then he says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Catch this, to everyone who asks. Here's the beauty you start living according to Colossians 4, 2 through 6, people are going to start asking you. Man, there's something different about you. There's something in you that I can't quite put my finger on. There's something, I don't understand why you care so much when nobody else has cared for me. I don't understand why you're willing to put yourself out to help me when nobody else is willing to put put themselves out to help me. And you say, you know what? I'm really glad you asked. Because the reason that I'm different is nothing in me. It's what Jesus Christ has done for me. And you just open up a world of opportunity where you don't have to figure out how do I manipulate my conversation from golf to Jesus you will find the conversations move there naturally because people are almost annoyed by you. They, they don't understand you. They don't get you. And they start asking you. And you have the opportunity to bring Jesus in. Now, let me tell you what my prayer is. My prayer is that on Easter Sunday, every chair is not only going to be full, but the chairs out in the lobby are going to be full they're going to be people, and, and by the way, that you Christians will stand up in the service so that outsiders can have seats. That's my prayer. 
that you're going to be grumbling the whole service because you have to stand up. No, I'm not trying to grumble. But, but, but that this place will be packed and it will be packed with people that you guys have perked their curiosity about Jesus with your prayer, with your life, and with your speech. And what I'm really praying for is that after the service, you'll say, what did you think? And you'll say, I don't understand. And, and then you're able to say, do you have any questions? And well, what is this Jesus thing? I, I've been to church all my life, but I've never heard anybody talk about Jesus like, like the guy up there talked about it. He was funny and kind of nutty, and it was, was kind of cool, but I, I didn't get it. And you're ready, according to 1 Peter 3.15, to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And my prayer is not that Rob will lead them to Christ. My prayer is that you will lead them to Christ. Because that's where the fun is. That's where the fun of being a Christian is. Is passing the grace of God from your life to somebody else's life. It's the greatest thing in all the world. So is that simple? I mean, do you get what I'm trying to say? Does it, let me ask you this, does it feel like you could do this? Some of you have a hard time picturing yourself making an eternal difference in somebody's lives. I want you to ask God specifically to give you a vision of your making a difference in somebody else's life. I have to tell you, from the time I was 14, I had one simple prayer. God, I want to make a difference for your kingdom in the lives of people around me. And that worked when I was a pastor. Now that I'm not a pastor, I'm doing other things. It still works. It's not about vocation. It's about calling. So I'm praying for a great victory not just for Calvary Chapel, but for all the churches in the area. I, this community needs Jesus like I can't believe it. You know, my son has passed over to Anthem. A man died in his church parking lot just, I think, yesterday. Guy has been trying to help people get off of drugs, and then he got caught into drugs and died. People are hurting and they're wounded and they're dying without Jesus right now. And uh, I think we need to get serious about being God's agents in this world. So, Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us to understand what it is you want us to do. I pray that you'd help us to uh, grab a hold of this truth Lord, I pray maybe even this week that we would be setting aside time to devote ourselves to prayer. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.